This is Franz. This is going to be your sample lesson number four for the Life Health Insurance exam. And this is going to be insurance regulation. It's about 31 minutes in length. I hope you're finding these sample lessons useful in your studies for your insurance exam, your Life Health Insurance exam. If you have any thoughts, drop me a note. Franz at Insurance Exam Podcast. And if you think these lessons make sense for you, please consider buying the full series of lessons, which includes 26 lessons and four review courses for a total of 30 recordings for the full series. Welcome to this lesson entitled Insurance Regulation. Now, insurance regulation is just talking about the different ways that checks and balances are put on the insurance industry to make sure that things are running as smoothly as possible, that people's assets are protected, and that companies remain solvent, and that people deal with each other in a business-like manner that is fair and according to the law. It's in the best interest of everyone that the, what insurance companies do is actually a service and not a disservice. We want there to be a positive outcome based on what they do. Now, to make this happen, insurance has to be highly regulated to make sure all sides are handled fairly. It protects both the companies and the clients from people who would treat them unscrupulously. Insurers control huge amounts of money, and regulations help make sure that money is used properly. Whenever there is a large amount of money, there is the risk that it might be mismanaged, it might be embezzled, it might be misused by um, a corrupt individual or individuals. So that is why regulations both at the state and the federal level are so important. First, let's talk a little bit about the federal regulation of the insurance industry. Most of the regulation for insurance takes place at the state level. That's why the exams are different from state to state. They're slightly different guidelines depending on what the state legislature has laid down. States get to make their own laws as they see best to help the people in their particular state. So they do have quite a bit of freedom in that arena. There are, however, some regulations that have been put in place by the federal government, meaning that all of the states need to abide by them. It's put down by Washington, D.C., the federal government regulates companies who have large interstate dealings, so between different states. It fills in the gaps for aspects where insurance is not regulated by state laws. And here are some of the important federal regulations that you need to be aware of. And some of these are even um, are laws or court cases or things that have gone into effect and then have also gone out of effect again. So here's just some things you might want to be aware of. The first is Paul versus Virginia. This was a court case that said that dealing in insurance transactions was not counted as interstate commerce, and so it should be regulated at the local level. So this decision held for a long time, about 75 years. So insurance was regulated at the local level because it wasn't considered interstate commerce like some other business or transactions that happened. However, after 75 years, there was another case called the Southeastern Underwriters Decision. 
This overturned Paul versus Virginia, which made it so that interstate insurance transactions were now considered interstate commerce. And so that changed how they were regulated, that they there was more federal oversight um, and not just state oversight. You should also know about the McCarran-Ferguson Act. Now, this was a law that was enacted in 1945. It said that the federal government can only regulate insurance in aspects that are not regulated by state laws. Now, this was intended to protect large insurance companies from federal antitrust laws. Antitrust laws were laws that kept companies of any type from getting too big, from having a monopoly on the market and then exercising an unfair advantage over those who wanted their products or services. So if something is regulated already at the state level, it can't also be regulated at the federal level. Now, another aspect, a very large aspect of what the federal government regulates has to do with client privacy and the concerns that arise from handling sensitive information that is required to make insurance decisions. Insurance companies handle a massive amount of private information, and so that has to be regulated so that it's not abused. A lot of people have their medical records examined, their financial records examined, they have social security numbers on file, they have employment histories and other investigations on file, so it's extremely important that these things are not abused. Insurance companies are required by law to explain to those who apply for insurance how the company will determine a person's eligibility. In most states, the potential clients have to be given advance written notice of how their personal information will be used. So they have to say, okay, this is a medical insurance policy. We're going to require a doctor's exam. We're going to look at your medical history. And we're only going to use that for purposes of deciding what your premium should be. If you have a lot of bad things in your medical history, you're going to have to pay a higher premium. But we're all not going to tell anyone else about your medical history. We're only going to use that information in order to make insurance-related decisions. Now, the client also has to sign an authorization, which has an expiration date, after which a new authorization will have to be provided. So the insurance company explains everything. The client signs it and says, okay, you can use my information for these specific purposes. And then if that expires, the client has to have that explained again, and a new form needs to be signed. Now, the law also stipulates that there's a $10,000 fine and a prison sentence, possibly both, for those who illegally obtain information about a client. So it's a very serious offense if you get caught doing it. The next, the next regulation we want to talk about is the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Now, this law states that insurers and those who work for them have to comply with the law that governs information gained from third parties about clients. So often when an insurance company is looking into whether to offer insurance to a client, they go to a third party to investigate the client, whether that's medical history, credit history, talking to former employers or their current employer, there are laws that govern what they can do with the information they obtain from those third parties. They can only ask for what is required by law, 
and those who violate this act can be fined, imprisoned, or even sued for damages. So they have to be very specific about what information they get, and they can only get the information that they need in order to do their job and to make the decisions about whether to extend insurance and at what rate. Now, consumers also have rights to look at the information that they have on file and to dispute or change something that they deem is incorrect. So when a consumer sees something that's wrong, they can inform the insurer, and this will cause the insurer to have to reinvestigate the information and either change or delete what they have. This is important, for example, because some information is used in determining how much a consumer has to pay for premiums or certain benefits. So if something is wrong and a decision was made based on faulty information, the consumer then has the right to make sure that that is corrected and a new decision made. For example, if the insurance company faultily said that you had a higher income than you actually do, that is going to change the decision that they make. So you have the right to dispute and say, no, I actually make this amount, and then they, you might be eligible for different things. Whenever a person buys an insurance policy, the insurer must supply a notice to the applicant, which tells them that the company will be investigating their past credit history and applications for other kinds of insurance. So the big thing here is that insurance companies have to disclose what they're doing. They have to be very specific. They have to be very clear. There needs to be absolutely no deceit or unclarity in this. They need to shoot straight with all of their customers. I want to talk a little bit now about consumer reports. Now, these consumer reports, either in paper or digital form, are reports that hold information about consumers, including their credit history, things about their character and reputation they might have learned from personal or professional references, and other factors that help determine whether a consumer is eligible for insurance or employment. Now, these can only be given to those who have a legitimate reason to use this information, like someone who is applying for insurance. Now, a consumer report can also be called investigative consumer reports when an investigation takes place in order to determine the information in the report. This is often done by contacting the personal and professional references supplied by the potential customer in order to get information about a person's temperament, character, and habits. They're looking for risk factors here. They want to see if there's something in their temperament or their habits that could be risky or dangerous that might lead to a problem in insuring them, that makes them a higher risk than other clients. So that's why this is an important step for any insurance company to do. The consumer has to be notified that this is happening, however, and is entitled to see a copy of the report upon request. So nothing here is done in secret. They have to be told that the report's happening, and they have to have the report given to them if they want it. There's another kind of investigative report called a pretext interview, in which a person misleads another person by pretending to be someone they are not in order to obtain information. Now, usually interviews like this are illegal, but they can be used in certain cases when there's suspected criminal activity or in order to gain evidence. So sometimes if there is a reasonable cause, 
They might pretend to be someone else in order to get information. Now, consumer reports are collected by consumer reporting agencies. These are companies who compile these reports and make them available to the relevant agencies and companies. Some of them operate on a for-profit basis, such as Experian and Equifax, so these are some credit reporting bureaus, or a nonprofit, such as a credit union, or the Medical Information Bureau. A consumer can let the consumer reporting agency know that they do not wish their information used for inquiries that the consumer did not initiate themselves. So if a consumer initiates, say they apply for some insurance, that's something they initiated themselves. But if there's some other investigation that they did not initiate themselves, consumers can opt out of that. Now this is valid for two years, after which it has to be renewed, this request for opting out. These agencies also have to provide a notification system, such as a phone number or website, so that consumers can express their wishes about how their information is used. There's a lot of transparency built into these laws, and that's just to protect people from having their information abused. There are also regulations at the federal level that govern fraud. Now, fraud is committed when a person or agency knowingly provides false or misleading information. This can lead to prison time, fines, or both. And there are certain kinds of fraud. There are a couple different kinds. Uh, for example, making a false report that willingly overstates the value of any kind of property in order to influence the action of an insurance company or agent. So you try to say that your house is worth more than it actually is, or your car, or even that your employment brings you in more money so that you can get a larger life insurance policy. Making a false report to an insurance company or agent about the solvency or health of a business. So you misrepresent how well your business is doing, and this leads to a bad decision by the insurance company. Willfully embezzling money from anyone involved in the insurance process. That's taking money that doesn't belong to you and using it for other purposes. Or obstructing the administration of insurance law. All of these things are considered fraud and can be punished by the law. Let's talk about another thing that Congress did in 1999. Congress passed a law known as the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act which is meant to break down the barriers between commercial banking, investment banking, and insurance. It lets companies that are financial in nature already engage in any of these activities, which provides much more choice for the consumer and more flexibility for companies. So it's an overall good thing as long as it is well regulated. That means that regulatory activity is based on what a company is doing and not what kind of company it is. So any financial institution can then offer insurance. And so since they're offering insurance, they can be regulated by insurance law. This law gives companies great power to collect data about their consumers like never before. So if they're doing all three of these things, a massive amount of data is coming in. As such, it also requires that certain safeguards have to be put up in order to protect the privacy of consumers' data. They, there have to be technical safeguards, such as firewalls and other computer security, so that people don't break in, don't hack in and steal the information. 
There have to be physical safeguards, such as locks and security systems on the actual buildings of the site so people can't physically come in and steal files or access computers. And there have to be administrative safeguards, such as paperwork and a chain of command to protect people's information. So when people want to request information, they have to go through the bureaucracy in order to get that. So there, there has to be all three of these kinds of safeguards to make sure that people's information is not mishandled. Consumers have to be given the right to opt out of having their information shared, which means they can inform the company of their preference and the company has to respect their wishes. Customers have to also opt in in the first place after being told what information is going to be shared and how it will be shared. So the consumer has quite a few rights there. Companies are required to disclose how they use information twice. Once when the contract is entered into, and again before the information is accessed or shared. So when you buy a new insurance policy, they have to tell you up front how they're going to use it, and then when they actually go ahead and, and share it or use it, they have to tell you again. The customer is required to receive a notice with this information on it at least once a year. So your, your privacy policy, your policy about how they use the information, they just need to send that out at least once a year. A lot of times there are updates and new things that people need to know, or it's just good to refresh people's memory. So that's about it, about talking about the ways that the federal government regulates the insurance industry. So let's go ahead and talk about a few ways that the state regulates the insurance industry. So when we're talking about the state level laws that govern the insurance transactions within that state, this is known as the insurance code. Most of the regulation, as we mentioned before, is done at the state level. Now these are made up of statutes rules and regulations. These three things altogether are the state's insurance code. Statutes are laws that are developed by the state's legislative branch, their Congress. The rules and regulations are guidelines developed by a state's Department of Insurance to be more specific about what the laws from the legislative branch say. So part of it is from the legislative branch, and part of it is from the executive branch, the people that carry out the laws that the legislators make. The state's Department of Insurance also enforces the laws of the state. This is headed up by a person known by one of three titles, the commissioner, the superintendent, or the director of insurance. So these are pretty much interchangeable. A lot of times you'll just hear the state insurance commissioner. This person doesn't make the laws, he or she just enforces them. There's a national group known as the NAIC, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, which is something that all of these different insurance commissioners belong to. It doesn't have any actual legal power, but it still exerts a great on state legislatures about what regulations are made and state insurance departments about how the laws are carried out. Now, the insurance code sets down the procedures on how an insurance company is formed within a state. One of the regulatory functions of the Department of Insurance within a state is to make sure that the insurance companies remain solvent. This means that they have enough to pay out claims at any given time, so they just have enough money on hand in order not to 
have a claim go through and then they don't have enough money. That means they would be insolvent. So they want to avoid that outcome and the regulation by the state helps them avoid that outcome. If a company isn't regulated, it might be possible for the insurer to take in the premiums but still not have enough to cover outstanding claims and overhead, which would make them in breach of their contract. So they're breaking their contract if they can't pay out what they said they're going to pay out. And that's a large problem. Not only is that grounds to terminate the contract in most cases, but it also hurts the reputation of the insurance company. The state regulatory agencies can approve and disapprove certain financial transactions depending on whether the insurer has enough money saved in order to cover potential claims. So if they want to invest some money, they have to then first ask the state if that's okay, or if they want to expend some money, they, the state needs to look at their reserves and say, okay, that's an acceptable risk. You have enough put away that you are most likely going to stay solvent. Insurance companies are also required to provide an annual report to this agency about their financial solvency. So they have to actually report on a periodic basis about how they're doing. And they have to be very careful not to mislead or provide any false information on that or else they can also be punished. There are several institutions that rate how financially sound insurers are and provide public rankings so that potential clients can make informed decisions. Now, you've probably seen this business has a AAA rating or has a uh, something like that or has a different kind of rating. Yeah, these are things that are available to the public so they can see how a company is doing before they start doing business with them. This is a pretty complex process that takes many factors into account from the strengths and weaknesses of the management to the quality of the corporate investments that a company is making. For example, one of these institutions is called Standard & Poor's. They provide a ranking that includes a letter grade. The lowest is a single D, and the highest is triple A. So it goes, if you get a D, you're doing very poorly. If you get a triple A, you're doing excellent, as well as can be expected. There's also oversight into what kinds of investment insurance companies can make. Since they're handling other people's money and that they're, it's kind of a up in the air how much they're going to have to spend, they can make predictions, but they don't know for sure. The investments that they make in order to grow their capital have to be fairly low risk. You can't invest in stocks that are going to potentially lose a lot of money or they could gain a lot of money, but it's just it's too risky. So they have to invest in things like municipal bonds, real estate, mortgage, corporate bonds. They have a little bit lower return, but they also carry much less risk in the long run. So the state regulates what kind of investments they can make depending on their reserves and depending on the riskiness of any potential investment. The commissioner of insurance is typically allowed to audit the records of an insurer whenever he or she deems necessary. But usually that's not all that often. It typically happens once every three to five years. So insurers are required to keep very accurate records because they can be audited at any time. And not all the aspects of regulation have to do with finances. Some of them fall under a category called proper market conduct. This just means that insurers are conducting business legally and fairly. There's kind of a, a code 
that says what is okay to do and what is not okay to do when selling insurance. Despite all, all of these state regulations, however, sometimes insurers do become insolvent, which means that they cannot meet all of their contractual financial obligations. In this case, the state insurance department is allowed to assume control of the financial assets of the company and will take rehabilitation measures in order to bring the company back into a solvent state. So the, the state steps in, they say, okay, we're going to cut back here, or we're going to reinvest here, they, whatever steps they deem necessary to try to help the company get back on its feet, they will take. So they, they take the control away from those managing the company and they take care of it themselves. However, even after taking these steps, sometimes the rehabilitation just can't happen. They, they have to liquidate the company, which means that they sell off all of their assets in order to pay their debts as much as possible. However, if a state regulatory system is working well, these cases should be very rare. And a company should only have to be should only have to be taken over or liquidated in very seldomly and only in extreme circumstances or something really out of the ordinary has happened. And there are also good to know about are these groups called guarantee associations that protect claimants against the possibility of an insolvent insurer. The members pay a fee to cover expenses, which makes it sort of a insurance for insurance. So if you have a policy with a guarantee association and your insurer becomes insolvent, the guarantee association will then step in and fill the gap where the insolvent insurer could not. Another aspect of insurance that the state can regulate is called the marketing aspect of insurance. Now, states often regulate how insurance policies can be advertised, and this is especially the case when talking about life and health insurance. They make sure that advertising is not misleading in any way. It clearly states the costs, the limitations, such as exemptions for pre-existing conditions, and the scope of coverage. So what's covered, what's not, that's all very clear in the advertising. In fact, insurers are required to keep a file of their advertising materials, which can then be audited by the state on an ongoing basis. The state is allowed to come in and say, okay, show us your advertising, and they look and make sure that everything is not being misleading, that it's all above board. When consumers are signing up for a plan, they have to be provided what's, with what's called a buyer's guide, which is just a document, usually maybe a small magazine or book or pamphlet, that outlines the benefits, costs, and limitations of each of the plans so that they can make an informed decision. Often in these buyer's guides, you'll see the different plans and you'll see kind of a side-by-side -side comparison. Now, this one costs a little bit more but it provides this additional coverage. It doesn't cover this. If you want that, you need to bump up to the next level of plan, things like that. The buyer can look through that before they make a decision and they know exactly what they're getting and why they're getting it. They must also be provided with the insurer's contact information so that any questions they have can be easily resolved. So here at the end, let's go ahead and just talk about a few other unfair trade practices that might come up. So 
You've got people that do unfair advertising, misleading advertising. That's, of course, a problem. One of the things that is highly regulated is called controlled business. And controlled business is the act of ensuring a person's own life or health or that of a family member or close business associate, so like your business partner. You can see how this might easily lead to a conflict of interest, that you might try to give preferential treatment to yourself or someone that is important or close to you. This is a very highly regulated activity and limited in its scope because it's very easy to abuse. So it still can be done in some circumstances, but it's also highly regulated. You have to be very upfront about what you're doing and let people regulate how you are transacting your business. Another thing that is illegal is a misrepresentation that's just another word for false information. It's an offense against fair market practices. Agents must be so careful not to misrepresent the benefits or the terms of a policy, the dividends of a policy, the financial condition of the insurer, the name or nature of an insurance policy as well. All of these things have to be completely clear and not misleading in any way. Most people do not actually know all that much about insurance especially since there are so many different kinds of insurance. So agents can't assume that people come in with any working knowledge of insurance. It's the responsibility of the insurer or their agent to educate others to the best of their ability so that misrepresentation doesn't occur even inadvertently. They really need to bend over backwards to make sure that their client understands every aspect of what they're entering into so that the client can't come back later and say, oh, I was misled, I was, they're trying to take advantage of me. Another practice that is one of these unfair trade practices is twisting. And that's a practice where an agent tries to convince a person to give up a policy in favor of another one, often in a dishonest way. And a similar practice is called churning, which is using misrepresentation to coerce someone to buy an agent's policy instead of that of a competitor. So both of those mm -hmm. things are against best trade practices. Defamation is another thing that needs to be avoided. It's trying to sully the reputation of a competitor through false statements or actions. While discrimination, another problem, is denying or changing coverage based simply on a person's national origin, race, religion, etc. Both of these things must be strictly avoided. And lastly, we've got something called rebating. And it's another illegal practice in most states. It's providing some incentive to the potential client that is not stipulated in the contract. This can, for example, be offering to split the commission with the insured person. So that's usually illegal and something you cannot do. Then finally, just to wrap it up, just one more word about regulation. Um, insurers are required to make sure that they're processing claims properly and can come under the censure of the state commissioner if they're found to be in violation of fair trade practices. If they're misrepresenting facts about a policy, if they're failing to act quickly on communications from clients, failure to accept or deny claims within a reasonable period of time, or trying to settle a claim in a way that is not outlined in the contract, or refusing to conduct an investigation into claims when that's required. So not only the agents um, can come under scrutiny, but also the companies themselves. 
they also need to be doing these best business practices, these fair market practices, and to treat their customers fairly. They have to follow what's in their contracts and try not to misrepresent anything. All right, we've come to the end of this lesson about insurance regulation. Thank you for joining us, and please join us for the next lesson, which we will build on what we've learned here today. Thank you.